Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Hopcast Book Show, which happens to be our 50th. It is our 50th and it is the last of 2021 as we record, but it will be the first of 2022, 2022, 2022, <laughs> whatever that is. 2022. Uh, and we are out and about again. And we've gone on a sort of mid between Christmas and New Year's, New Year's Eve as we speak, uh, trip to Oxford. We, we, I was saying this the other day, we very rarely go anywhere for New Year's Eve. We, we seem to go somewhere either just before or just after. So this is our just before New Year's Eve trip. We were out last night. We went to uh, a place called Yately in Yately. Hampshire. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was a, a sort of gathering of, of old friends and uh, that was lovely. And, uh, but we have some news. Let's get that done first because we're not talking about publishing news. We're talking... This wasn't in the bookseller. This wasn't in the bookseller. It should be, and one day it will be. I would love that to be in the bookseller, but anyway. Anyway, we have some personal news. Um, on Christmas Day, which, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, was also <laughs> Rebecca's 50th birthday, I um, somehow managed to get down on one knee and propose, and very graciously, you have accepted. I did. And we are engaged. We are. I mean, not straight away, because I, I was just looking at you down on your knee, thinking... I don't know what I was thinking... And I have I have a ring, but it's made out of paper. It's a very beautifully created origami ring. Yeah, which I knocked up the morning of, <laughs> of the occasion. Um, there will be a proper ring, and don't worry, we'll share it on social media. But uh, that is to come. Uh, but we're outside the Bodleian Library, where a number of Hobart books now reside. That's very true. There are some book- of our books are actually in this building. It's wonderful, isn't it? And a whole load more have just winged their way towards the copyright libraries of the UK. Actually, they, they went to the British Library in Boston. Oh, yeah, well, that's their recept- but then they distribute them. There's only one of each. Oh, okay. So right. I think the system is, just to explain to people, that yeah. uh, we have to give six copies of um, yeah. all the books we publish. They go to a central... Um, location and then those ones are distributed to all the, uh, the what they're called copyright libraries. Yes, so it, there's various locations in the, in the UK, and then the the British Library is actually for some reason you send that copy separately. Separately, yeah. okay, yeah. So uh, all of our publications eventually end up here. Yeah, in the Bodleian so in Cambridge University Library. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's wonderful, and we're in uh, what's known as Radcliffe Square. Uh, with the Radcliffe camera in front of us, which is uh, one of the signature buildings of Oxford. I, had, I mean, I didn't study here, and I haven't lived here. A lot of my friends did go here. And, and I... uh, actually, I've got an update. <laughs> I, want, I want to just break in with an update. So for those of you who remember the, a previous episode where I described how, uh, in our last episode, actually, uh, if I had a chance to do some childish games, we'd play war again. And the poor fate of my old friend, Duncan Richards who fell, when I shouted, grenade, threw himself flat on the ground, not knowing that there was an enormous dog poo 
that landed right underneath him under his chest. Um, anyway, it turns out Duncan Richards is now a professor here at Oxford University. We might even walk past him today. Yeah, we might. Know. Yeah, he still has be a, funny if you bumped he, into him. He still has a very prominent chin. Uh, oh God, I'm really selling him. But anyway, look, congratulations, Duncan. I knew you'd end up being something because I used to crib your physics homework. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. I used to pay you for the privilege. So you had a nice little earner going. Well, I actually lived here for uh, about 15 years uh, or lived close to Oxford. So Oxford was my main, you know, it was where we went shopping, where we went to town for a long time. But I've forgotten so much about where everything is. This is really yeah, frustrating for you. That was very evident. I mean, I knew more about it than you did, so which is <laughs> hilarious. But anyway, uh, we are in Oxford and we're feeling a wonderful vibe. It's very spring-like, beautiful sunshine low over the tower of Brazenose College. Uh, and the uh, Radcliffe camera with body and I'm actually leaning You're against leaning it. Against it the ancient stones, <laughs> yeah, which is terrible, really. Um, but it is, yeah. I mean, Oxford in this sort of light, oh, bright beautiful. blue skies is absolutely stunning. And that's what I loved about living here is, is it, it always looked beautiful, whatever the weather, the time of year. It always had a sort of a sense of, well, the sense of history, obviously, but the sense of knowledge and yeah. And no, just... it, it, it's it, it's it's otherworldly and it is quite inspiring. Anyway, um, now, normally, we ought to introduce ourselves properly, really. So, uh, I'm Adrian Hobart. I'm now engaged to... <laughs> Rebecca Collins. So, I'm now engaged to you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and together, uh, in all respects, we now run Hobeck Books, which is a UK independent publisher of the following genres. Thrillers. Crime. Mystery. And suspense. I, I would just like to tell a little story about um, so the engagement... Um, a few days ago, I went to get my booster jab. Um, and when you go to get your booster jab, you get registered by various people. There's about four different people you talk to, and they all ask your date of birth. And the one woman said, when I said 25th of the 12th, she said, oh, you've just had a birthday, happy birthday. And she asked me, did you have any special presents? So I, I said, well, I did have one special present I was proposed to. And she looked at my finger, and I said, no, 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 I haven't got a ring yet. And she said, well, what will you be? And I said, I'll be a Hobart. And she said, oh. How posh. <laughs> yeah, I, I say, yeah. And well, it's not going to be that posh. Um, now, for those of you marking the date, uh, keep it free for two years' time. Um, the 21st of December, 2023. We decided this some time ago before I actually proposed. So uh, we're sticking to it. The winter solstice. Yeah, so I'm, quite, I'm looking forward to it because it's, it's less... You know, it's more usual to have a wedding in the sort of spring, summer, autumn, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my last one was September, so I'm looking oh, forward well, to December. It's going to be an interesting one. Anyway, uh, so uh, we're not going to look at publishing news this week because there hasn't really, frankly, been a lot out there. No, they've uh, all been on holiday, so... No. Uh, I mean, the one thing I noted was... You remember our bookshop discussions where they were saying the only time they ever sell hardbacks... That really is annoying, that little lad uh, playing with the bell on a bicycle. <laughs> He's getting told off now. He'll give up in a second. But um, basically, the hardbacks only sell at Christmas time in most of the bookshops that we've spoken to. Uh, Waterstones were doing a massive sale, 50% of really? all hardbacks. Now, in, that's interesting, because Waterstones in, in, rarely do that sort of sale. Yeah, in their stores to try and get rid of all these things. Now, that's uh, telling. Yeah, it is telling. Anyway, that's, a, that's an anecdotal and something I noticed. But we're not going to do it, because this 50th edition, we haven't got any specific guests this week either. So uh, it's a little different. It's an opportunity for us to reflect on the year past and the first 50 shows of the Hobcast and also to look ahead to what's to come for the company and for our authors and for everybody who works with us. And also, of course, you know, some thoughts about what we're going to do with the Hobcast. But 
number one, we wanted to reflect on the year of achievement. I mean, it sometimes doesn't feel like it, especially, you know, if sales are sluggish or things haven't quite worked out to the, to the extent that we hoped. Uh, but nonetheless, we've done incredible things. I mean, we've built a company. So that in itself is a massive achievement. We've also attracted... 17 authors to yeah, join us. Yeah, because we had... Pretty we much only in that had, time. We only officially... Well, we'd only published the books of two authors this time last year. That's right. I mean, yeah. we had a few in the pipeline, but to go from... So Robert Dawes and Lewis Hastings were the first two that we published um, towards the... Well, Lewis towards the end of last year. Mm. And it's phenomenal, really, what we've done since then. We've gathered, you know, a, a proper... A lovely team of authors. And I, I can't remember how many books we've published, but... <laughs> yeah, so it's over 30 books. So, I mean, you, you know, from a standing start, it's, it's impressive. Anyway, we thought we'd, um, we'd, first of all, reflect on some of the conversations we had with Hobeck authors. Uh, I will start, if we may, with our first-timers. And the key question we asked all of them, how does it feel to finally become a published author? Anthony Dunford, published author. How does that feel? <laughs> it feels uh, mostly pretty good, but it's... Um, a little bit nerve-wracking as well but no, it's wonderful it's a it's a dream come true of many years i think and uh, yeah i've got a pile of books next to me 16 of them all with my name on them wendy turbin i am completely over the moon i have been skipping around like a, a spring lamb and i'm not a spring lamb so you know just saying um, this is so exciting. It's a lifetime ambition for me um, to have a book out there in print, uh, being read by ebook um, by other people who don't know me. This is very exciting. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm immensely grateful. Mark Whiteman. For some reason, I've never really been able to fully understand that that urge to write, that urge to be a writer never left me and it would keep sort of bubbling out every two or three years um, quite strongly even though I didn't write you know you, you speak to other people who are, who are writers and they've always written something and um, I didn't but I had this really deep rooted need almost I guess to to, to be a writer one day um, yeah so as I say it took an awful long time to actually come to fruition and, and, and to come to doing but, but it's been with me all my life well, not only have we launched the careers, the, the publishing careers of certain uh, of our authors, a number of them, um, we've also attracted people who've been around the block yes. a, a tiny bit. <laughs> I don't know if they'd like to be described. Well, uh, ex- more experienced authors who've got a few books on, <laughs> under their belts. And uh, we've been very privileged to, uh, to, to, to have them join us and bring their experience and their wisdom as well. I, I, mean, think... I think the interesting point to make here is that they've taught us a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think I think the thing we we try and stay as if open to learning. Oh, we are always open to learning. I mean, I, that's my philosophy in everything, not just in the work I do, but in life. And I was saying this, uh, I think it was over Christmas, to my sister's family that you never stop learning. You might not think you're learning sometimes, but you really are. You never yeah. stop learning. Yeah, well, you learn from the mistakes and you learn from the good things and what works and what doesn't. But um, nonetheless, we, we've drawn a lot of strength from from our experienced authors, and so let's hear from from some of them. Linda Huber. So go on, give us an honest review. How does a Hobeck book differ from anything else you've had published? Um, oh, that is a very difficult question. And the thing that springs to mind first is it's orange, orangey-yellow. Uh, 
color on the cover image. I've never had an orange book before, so it really it stands out in my, my bookcase. Apart from that, it is just doing the same procedure with different people. You know, you go through the editing process and the proofing process and approving the cover image. And uh, it is the same for, uh, for every book, I think. So yeah, and in a way, the yeah. one that you're working on at the moment is always the special one. Malcolm Hollingdrake. The idea of creating new characters inspired in a way. Um, I was asked at one time, I was commissioned to write a new series and I had the idea for the two, two lady detectives, uh, Skeeter and uh, April. Originally I thought of bringing April Richmond from the Harrogate series to, to Merseyside uh, but then thought better of it. Um, but I had Skeeter in my mind for quite some time and because Wigan is well known for its wrestling and catches catch can wrestling at the snake pit. Um, I wanted her to be a candidate, so I went and did the research with a, a gentleman called uh, Royce Banks, who has a gym uh, at Ince in Wigan, and a, a very keen wrestler himself. And I spent a couple of hours with him talking about it. So it seemed to fit perfectly. And, um, and once I got into the writing of the Harrogate, the, difficult, the difficulty is, is not con uh, confusing one series with another, because Catch as Catch Can is, I wrote... Well, I've written th three books since Catcher's Catch Can. So um, you, you do forget where you are. And uh, I'm writing book 11 of the Harrogate at the present time. And I have to really think carefully about who's what, who are the, who are the police, who, who are the team, uh, to make sure I don't duplicate from one to the other. But I've loved it. I've loved every minute. And I, and I, I hope it comes through that I do love Liverpool. So to be able to ride along the Sefton coast is just ideal for me. Ollie Jarvis. When I started writing, I would get up at five o'clock in the morning and try and do a couple of hours before court. Um, and it was very, very hard, nearly killed me. <laughs> and so now what I do is I book blocks out and I have very understanding clerks and I try and book blocks out and try and write maybe 30,000 words in that block. And if you're writing every day, you can move faster as well. If you can get a thousand words done every day, I find that things can move on much quicker if I have a period of time where I don't have to think about work. But one of the things that I learned from the Genesis inquiry, talking about realizing what's important and reconnecting, I realized that I'd written this book all about camper vans. And <laughs> that was because I didn't have a camper van. So we've just gone out and got ourselves a camper van. So I've got more time in my little tiny camper van with my family. A.B. Morgan. Depends also what type of fiction writer you are. And by that, I mean, are you someone like Frederick Forsyth who plots everything out to the nth degree and knows exactly what's going to happen in each paragraph, in each chapter, uh, every single part of the story is accounted for before it's then written? Or uh, you know, are you a pantser? Do you fly by the seat of your pants, have a rough idea of a story or even an ending and then create your story to get to that ending? And I'm a bit of both. I'm a plotty pantser, which sounds like a small child. Yeah, it sounds like a small child having a nasty accident, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, now, the Hobcast book show has, you know, we're new on the block in the podcasting terms and we're 
really gratified with the audience that we've already built. Um, but, you know, there are times when you approach people and, and, you know, they'll give us a fob off. But that hasn't really happened that often. No. Uh, and we're really gratified by the number of big names that have spoken to us over the last year. Some of them at festivals, but sometimes away from that. And uh, we're, you know, absolutely, we were gobsmacked when we started sitting opposite, as we did in Harrogate, the great Ian Rankin. <laughs> that uh, was definitely one of the highlights of my year. Yeah, I mean, you just pinch yourself. I mean, this guy is the godfather of British crime writing right now and um, has done so much for, for, the, for the industry as a, in, a, in a wider sense uh, and also, you know, it's very, very sort of looks out for the little guy, uh, as we've discovered. But great to speak to him. And let's speak... Well, but let's hear from some of the big names that we've, uh, we've, we've chatted to over the last year. Well, in some ways, it was a it was a blessed relief. It was like a, a, an escape tunnel out of camp pandemic. I could sit in my little room in Edinburgh, not really allowed to go out for more than an hour a day, do no socialising, etc., etc. And I could just immerse myself in a kind of uh, a simpler world, a world with no cell phones, no mobile phones, mm. no DNA analysis. Uh, no computers in police stations, um, you know, all that stuff, which, you know, is a curse for the for the contemporary crime writer because you go, well, I need to remember, to, I've got to deal with a mobile phone. If somebody's getting kidnapped, why don't I just phone the police, you know? Um, you know, make sure the mobile phone hasn't got a signal or they run out of battery, all these things you have to, sort of, you know, all the CCTV, so if someone's attacked in the street, has any CCTV picked up? None of that was an issue. It was a much simpler world. And, and Laidlaw, the detective, operates through a, a series of um, informers, snitches, grasses, uh, what's now called human intelligence or covert human intelligence. Mm. Uh, and that's what he does. He, he, knows, he, knows, he knows Glasgow. He knows the streets of Glasgow like the back of his hand. He goes out, he goes on buses and travels everywhere by bus because he gets a sense of the city as he's travelling through it. He goes into pubs and talks to people and he starts to piece together what the city is all about. Mm. and what secrets people are keeping from them. Almost like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, almost like a jigsaw puzzle, and detective novels really are that. They are det- You start with a puzzle and you start to put pieces in place and you solve it. I did a lot more planning for this book than I would normally do for one of my books. Mm. I'm famously a pantser. I don't do I a lot of planning. Ask, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I make it up as I go along. Um, but with this, because Willie had left notes, um, I had something. I had something to work from. And I, I knew that I needed, before I started writing that, I needed to kind of work out in my own head what was going on, what did he think was going on in his book. So all of that um, took some time, uh, but it, it's, you know, it's mercifully quite a short book. Mm. Um, and uh, these days, I think a lot of novels are overblown. They're just, you know, because of the onset of the computer, we novelists are given free reign. We don't have to, if when you were using a typewriter, let me tell you, especially a portable typewriter, mm. a manual portable typewriter, whatever. You were very careful not to make too many mistakes because you yeah. knew how hard it was going to be to correct all that. Cutting and pasting was, yes, a, was a real thing. I started, when I started from, in journalism, it was yeah. still typewriters. Oh, yeah. 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 Still, you know, proper cutting and pasting. Yeah. And these days, it's too easy just to keep on writing. And sort of crime novels now are four, five, six hundred pages, even, yes. even longer. Yeah, yeah. it's like, almost like the expectation has, has changed as well, that they, people expect them to be bigger than they used to be. Well, you know what? When I was early on in my career, someone told me, and I forget if it was a publisher or an agent, they said, if you want to be taken seriously as a writer, not just as a crime writer, you better write books over 300 pages. Because <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it's under 300, it's just a whodunit. Oh, right. You know, the kind of Agatha Christie style book. Yeah, yeah. Or the early Ruth Rendells. 
or just who done it. And if you if you if you think if you're taken seriously because you think you're taking on big themes uh, and and maybe some politics and everything else, then you need to write longer books. Mark Billingham. You know, I had a very special night here on Thursday where I got the outstanding yes. contribution award. Which there's always a little part voice in the back of your head going, is, "Does that award really mean?" All right, mate, you've had your time. Yeah, is 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 a nice prize now. Just go away, mate, well, for somebody else. And, you know, yeah, about exactly. twenty minutes later. <laughs> twenty minutes later, you got one. Um, but but that same week, in fact, that same day, my new book came out, which is a, the most different for me thing I've ever done. You know, it's a standalone book in a first person, and I've never written a book like it. So. If that's a long way of saying yes you have to you have to do something different if you'll just keep turning out the new book a new, the same book every every year readers are very quickly going to go no that's going and, a bit and stale what, and what about that, that experience of writing the first person and, and, and changing the, you know because I, I I've struggled with flipping between first person and omniscient and all that sort yeah, of thing yeah no I loved it I mean I've always done a bit of first person in every book but to do a whole book it's a challenge because you're asking the reader to spend 400 pages inside the head of you know one voice mm. and also you have to be in the head of that one voice yeah, too. We, yeah which is hard enough but, and you make it somebody that's very different to you in this case a kind of young northern woman nothing to do with nothing like me um, but I loved it and I wrote it really quickly I think you write quicker in the first person you definitely just get more words out in a day yeah. um, sort of stream of consciousness thing but no I really really loved it I'm really proud of it next year will be another will be a very different book back to Tom Thorne I've already done, written mm. that book and the year after that hopefully you know something different a nice slim volume of poetry perhaps Abir Mukherjee I think a lot of authors feel this way I know um, I've read Ian Rankin say that if you could go back you would rewrite Knots and Crosses um, I know Joseph Knox who wrote The Smiling Man and Sirens and books like that he's he's actually gone back and rewritten his first book <laughs> Which is, you know what, he's much more efficient, much more organised and much more talented than I am. <laughs> the idea of going back and fixing my book would take too long. Um, yeah, it's true. I, I, can't, I, I find it very difficult to read that first book, especially the first half of it. Um, it was very much the beginning of a journey and it's a journey I'm still on. I think, I think there will come a point where, well, I would hope there will come a point where, you know, if I, I read this new book, I won't be able to read it. If I read it in 10 years' time, I'll still mm. cringe because I hope <laughs> that I'll have learned more. Um, but, yeah, each each book is different. I feel I'm learning with each book, but mm. I'm still so close to the bottom of the mountain that you know, I'm not going to run out of cringe anytime soon. Too posh to push on cobbles. We're um, <laughs> just being asked to uh, get out of the way of a... Of a buggy. You know, I used to I used to push on cobbles because it sent them to sleep. Yeah. Anyway, well, you know, oh dear, they've got to go on cobbles now. They've got no choice. <laughs> anyway, you know, us roadblockers in the biggest square in Oxford, honestly. But um, we've also had the opportunity to speak to some of the new stars of the British crime writing scene. I'm talking about the indie authors who've taken the plunge, published themselves, and built an, a massive following. Um, and two people in mind uh, particularly stand out. I think Simon McCleave, from a standing start beginning of last year in 20, uh, 20, uh, 2020, rather. No, it was 2021, wasn't it, when he launched? It's incredible what he's achieved in terms of uh, selling as many books as uh, he has. He's sold over a million now. And uh, we've also spoken in similar vein uh, to one of his close friends, Jason Dalgleish, who's also done incredible numbers. Yes, and, and, and I think uh, Jason Dalgleish was the lucky first recipient of Rebecca's Random Question. Well, OK, rightly. well, I'll, cut, I'll make sure that we get to hear that one <laughs> in a moment. Let's hear from those guys. Simon McCleave. I actually made a decision not to release a book for a year, and I was 
thought what I'm going to do is I'm going to write the first three and I'm going to spend a whole year while I'm still sort of teaching um, but kind of reading and writing uh, reading and listening and doing everything I can on indie publishing so I listened to every audiobook podcast and read everything I could find for a year so I completely immersed it. I did the Mark Dawson's courses I did Nick Stevenson courses I read books by Chris Fox and Joe Penn and listened to everything I could do and kind of like did it like a mini degree in self-publishing same <laughs> mm. um, you have got the certificate <laughs> I know but I just thought I don't want to do if I want to if I'm going to do this I want to do this right with with as much knowledge about this as I can get and you know the rapid release stuff seems to work I don't want to put a book out there and then spend six months writing the next one while people forget who I am so I did I, I released the first three books in three months because I just thought well that at least that gives me a little bit of a a kind of momentum and yeah. momentum then and you know and if people are buying the third book then I'm thinking that the fourth book is going to be worth right you know you know it's you can drive people to your first book but what you can't do is make them buy the second one so you can probably get sales of your first book um just through very clever marketing and you know spending a lot of money on Facebook and Amazon you can actually sell them but to get people to them by the second and then the third you have to write decent books because no yeah. one's going to no one's going to carry on buying them. So for me, it was like, well, if that, if they continue to buy the series, then I know that I'm doing something that's okay. Jason Dalgleish. I didn't have any history of writing, publishing fiction, nothing at all. Um, so I, I came at it just with, I'll write a book. I had no idea about structure. I hadn't done any creative writing courses. I have a degree in history, which is all very factual. <laughs> There's no creativity yeah, in that respect. And that's frowned upon really. Um, so I, I came out completely cold. And I think probably what I would say is a, a, a friend of mine picked it up for the first time quite recently. And um, he said, oh, I'm reading your very first book. And I said, oh, did you manage to get to chapter nine before anything actually happened? <laughs> and he was like, it's not that bad. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, with uh, my books now, you have one, two chapters and then you're straight into it. Whatever it is, whatever the case is, something is happening immediately. Whereas that first book, I was building a picture and this story and this character and all but nothing actually happened. I mean, when you look back on it, when you read further into the book, um, things were there, but um, certainly it took a long time to go. And it was a long book. And I, I, I think I chopped about 25% out of it before I published it. We could probably do with a bit more, to be quite honest. So, but no, it, it's done. I'm not going back re-editing things. I know that's it. It's there. It's, you know, I'm still very proud of it. It sold very well, so people liked it. So I, I could be very critical of my own work. Um, but yeah, certainly I've evolved in, in the, I think it's three years now since that first book came out. And um, I've written 13 books, I think. Right, 14, I'm not sure, I lose count. But um, <laughs> that's a common but each thing. Each one, well. I, I like to think I'm in. <laughs> I like to think I'm improving and uh, it's, get, it's getting better in the pacing and structure. And you, you learn that type of thing. You only have to write one or two books and then you really pick up on, on structure and pacing and, and what people like and what they don't. Um, but that said, I think it's very important to stay to what you want to write and don't listen too much to how other people tell you you should write. Now, it would be remiss of us not to mention, of course, the wonderful associates that we've built up, people who have contributed hugely to the creative success of the company and the the workflow i mean we do a lot of the 
a lot of the grunt work. But we've got a fantastic team of cover designers, of editors in particular, uh, and they've been a massive influence on the way that we work. We learn a lot from way, when manuscripts come back to us edited. You know, everyone gains, I think. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I, I always go through the corrections from the editors and I, every time I learn something new. So they're invaluable to us. They really are. So let's, uh, let's speak to some of our, well, unsung heroes, if you like, uh, starting with our cover design team. Uh, Jane Mapp has done many of our designs, as indeed has Jen Butcher. Let's hear from them. The more research that you do and the more sort of preparation and and then even after all that, I tend to go with the first idea that I've had in my head because I, I will visualise something in my mind and mull over it for a good couple of weeks before I even start collecting the bits and pieces together. Um, and then I always think, well, do what's been asked for and then throw in a wild card if it's completely different. So I've, I've learnt to sort of trust my instinct a little bit more. I would say that's the first. Because mm-hmm. um, having never done book covers before, it was a completely new. I try and sort of, I'm not cover my back, but I, you know, obviously I don't want everything, I don't want it all to be rejected. I want them to sort of feel there's something there. And so I often do quite a few visuals. So I might do you know, six or eight or something. And I want to be, I want to be happy with them. I, I, I think everything I, submit as a visual is a cover you know it's a usable cover it's up to the client whether they choose it or not mm. um, i'll never submit something i just think well, it just doesn't work at all i mean it's like a builder trying to build a wall and he knows it's not straight you know it's, 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 i wouldn't do that but sometimes especially when it's a new client i'm trying to put a bit more effort in to 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 impress them it's a bit like us when we take on another author uh, it takes time sometimes to develop a, a, a sort of an understanding and communication. And that must be the case when you take on a new client to understand uh, and interpret what they're trying to tell you. Yeah. I think, you know, someone, a new client might often just send me an email. Oh, you know, we've got this job. Would you be interested? And, you know, I'll, I'll read the, the brief and then I then I often want to chat to them about it as well to fully understand. Cause there's always a few questions that they probably haven't, haven't, made clear in the in the brief character descriptions are sometimes to be avoided but you know if, if they're saying right okay we need a we need a woman on the front well okay uh, can you give us an idea of how old she is or you know <laughs> tall or you know, uh, yeah. oh, I think you spend a lot of time putting this putting a picture of a woman on the front oh no she's not like that yes. <laughs> did I say woman I meant child <laughs> yeah. yeah I think what I was trying to say is that I think a lot of the publishers have been doing it for years you know the standard man walking away in moody landscape the more the big publishers do that the easier it is for the self-published sort of diy person to copy it because it's it's such a standard format um so they they end up copying that reasonably successfully but they there's certain bits of how it's executed that they never really understand um some of it is typography and I, I like to think typography is a dangerous it's dangerous in the wrong hands um, <laughs> because we're all used to seeing professional typography everywhere um, and so when it's poorly executed it stands out like a sore thumb and of course let's talk to the editors too we've we had uh, a very in-depth conversation with Jenny Parrott who's one of the most experienced crime editors in the country particularly on the structural side as opposed to the 
the, the more detailed words but we've also got a fantastic team of, of editors who, who work on the scripts and I guess the, the, the main the main challenge for them is is kind of how do you break bad news to an author yes that is a big question isn't it you need to be very bold and, and brave enough to do that writers can only hear what they're ready to hear so it can sometimes be that they're either maybe not particularly confident or they haven't quite had enough experience to understand the point you're trying to make and then you can have you know a week later it can all be a different story so you know again you do your best but I don't think it works with writers trying to make them make them write a wonderful book. I think you need to encourage and enable them to to write that wonderful book. Helen Gray. So sometimes people have just said to me, "All I want you to do is proofread." Um, so that would be checking for the the spelling, punctuation, and grammar errors the presentation errors if if the font suddenly goes into a different style different size and the line spacings it's it would be that kind of thing and then as you build up through the editing then you're you're looking at different things and your your feedback is going to get more involved that's what I find um but I I love I love doing the copy editing and the editing and and being able to have a conversation with the author beyond, beyond just saying, oh, there, were, there weren't that many mistakes. You know, that, that's, that's a necessary part of any publication process. But, I, you know, it doesn't engage me in the same way that editing engages me. And I, I love being, once I've gone through a piece of work, even if, even if it is something that's quite academic um, in its, in its style because that's it 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 is an academic text and but what you're looking for then is very different to um fiction but i love then being able to just talk to the author and say that 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 was great and i you know and and talk about what what i thought was good and and sometimes the the bad things as well (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's tricky sometimes and finally as we round up this wonderful year of 2021 with all of its challenges issues but also success successes we ought to uh, mention uh, the bookshops who have battled on through lockdowns closures all sorts of, of supply issues as well to keep going and we uh, in recent weeks have been speaking to a few of them um, and you know it's really heartwarming just how passionate they are about books absolutely and just how optimistic they remain whatever is thrown at them like you say pandemics and all sorts but they they just think okay i've got to work with this i've got to be creative and they do and i love that about them dan and leanne frid of book bugs and dragon tales in norwich it's quite funny sometimes people walk into the shop and we we always greet people with a smile and a oh you know if we don't recognize them have you been in before and we give them this whole spiel and tour them around the shop and they wonder what the hell is going on, don't they? <laughs> Sometimes we get some really strange looks, like, but we're is this so a shop? <laughs> like, in fact, we do get asked a lot, is this a shop? Can we buy the books? <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's, it's hilarious. I mean, a lot of booksellers get asked if, yeah. if, if, you know, if they can buy the book, if people can buy the books. But 
but um but we do get asked a lot like they're not quite sure it's not it, most people get it but every now and again it's like what on earth have I walked into here <laughs> and we you know because we're so proud of our shop because it is an extension of um our life our family um that we're so proud we want to show people around we want them to feel comfortable sure. um so that is really important to us that we that every single person feels welcomed and we'll leave them alone if they don't look too keen yes. we try not to <laughs> harass them too much yeah but it is like you know welcome to our welcome to our safe space you know we want you to enjoy it we're quite like that in our house although we haven't been in our house for many years I feel <laughs> like we just sleep here at the moment um but, yeah. you know once you've been around once you're part of the family and i think that's how we feel about our customers chrissy lloyd of medina books in the isle of wight so what we like to do is because we're so small you know we're a very small shop really we like to do something slightly different than what you might get in waterstones or amazon so we particularly children's which is one of my section I'll go for lesser known authors and debut authors and things like that to try and introduce people to, you know, write wonderful, wonderful writers they won't have heard of to give these other people a chance. Um, we do, you know, we still do stock the top tens and, you know, we've got Richard Osmond and things, you know, the, the ones that will sell. But um, we try to go for things slightly different that, you know, that we've got an interest in that my team, there's three of us in the shop and we're all quite different. And so we're all mm. quite passionate about things. So we want to get books in that when people ask for a recommendation, we've either read it or we know the genre, we know the author, and we can really talk passionately about it because that's what sells the book. As soon as you start, you know, it's it's the passion that we can put into it that the other place can't, you know, it's soulless. Whereas, you know, you, that's what a bookshop is about. Isn't it? It's about the soul and the passion. Jules Button of the Woodbridge Emporium. There's no point in competing. You've just got to be different. You've got to buy, be diverse. You've got to offer books that um, you're not, not going to get when they they're shopping and buying their tins of peas and um, things like that. You've got to offer different books rather than mainstream books. And also a lot of the authors that are stocked in like supermarkets and places like that. And, you know, especially the kids books, you know, the authors are ghostwriters. Um, we yeah. won't even stop. We won't have them in the shop. I won't have any of those big names. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think they're probably the same ones. We won't either. <laughs> because I don't, what, I don't. Why do I want to stock books like that? Why and why do we want to compete with, um, you know, the supermarkets and other um, big bookshops? And you know, when they're basically certain, I want to sell alternatives, and people will come in going, "Oh, I want that book by so and so, so and so." You know about you know uh, I don't know lots of you know I won't, won't mention the books um and I'll say well we don't stock that because he's a ghostwriter and they were like what no and I go yeah um but however we stop this this writer's really good the book is fun um it's a quid cheaper you know buy it. and it's about educating your customers because they don't know any different they're just used to seeing um that oh that funny comedian guy writes lovely books for kids and isn't he so funny and nice no actually um he doesn't have a lot to do with them or they don't have a lot to do with them why don't you use you know have something better um and a nicer read and so it's it's hard work but eventually it does pay off so we've used this time in the last few days i mean you've had a little bit of time off which is so rare 
A little bit. Yeah. Away from Hobex stuff, I suppose. You've other projects I've, as well I've in the game. I've kept other things ticking along, but I haven't been working full pelt by any means. I've been reading for pleasure, which has been absolutely blissful. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been working on all sorts of bits and bobs, uh, but also taking the chance to uh, enjoy my new cookery toys, my <laughs> ice cream maker, my stand mixer, uh, and things like that, and sort of refilling the well in a different creative way. But... You know, once New Year's is out of the way, it's back to the grindstone, really, full time. But I do. I actually do feel quite refreshed now because I think I got to got to Christmas and I was I was exhausted. You were, and you I was a bit l- worried that I wouldn't have the energy to, um, you know, pick it up again after New Year. But I I do feel that I have. I think I made the right decision by stepping back a bit. And, yeah, um, it was necessary. You you were you were, you know going grey in many ways <laughs> you know skin wise you, you, you can't look you drained. did say that to me one day yeah, yeah. yeah you look very drawn um, you've worked so hard and you know the pressure of Christmas of course but anyway that's now behind us New Year's as we, as we launch this is behind us and we're looking forward to 2022 so we've got not resolutions but aims I suppose um, with this podcast we are still always open to speaking to some wonderful talent we're going to have an announcement next week of a new author we do we know who he is yeah. it's so exciting oh, just gave away his gender okay it's a man <laughs> <laughs> okay we have a new male author joining us but we'll announce that next week and our guest next week is our guest next week is a writer called um daniel hurst um and i just came across him by chance on social media um he's had a very very uh, successful career in just 12 months i believe uh, writing um and it's phenomenal actually how well he's done so we we want to pick his brains a little bit and how that's happened and hear his story we will and we've got a number of targets uh, lined up already for the year but uh, we've got some wonderful guests that we want to speak to over the year we've got a promise from lj ross no less uh one of the most successful indie authors in the country to speak to us uh, she just had a, a daughter so she's a bit busy but uh, that yeah, will come we will get to that i'm, I'm looking forward to that very much but so. in terms of aims for next year i mean clearly we want to sell more books that's that's the number one <laughs> and be all and end all and we are going through uh, you know extending the relationship with one of our uh, guests matt j holmes yeah um over the next uh, few months we've got a, a program of uh, increased marketing for a number of our authors we're gradually migrating them over and it's a quite a lengthy process in terms of getting all the editorial and the um, particularly the sort of visual assets ready yeah um so it's, it's not a quick process but we hope that will be reflected in in sales in in the first quarter of 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 the year um and we're also encouraged by you know when we hear we heard a wonderful podcast featuring rachel mclean who's not that far from us in birmingham um, the the she, irony was we were passing Birmingham when we were Yeah, passing. absolutely. And she, I mean, she has achieved incredible things, selling several thousand books a day. So, you know, if, if people can do it, we can. And that's our aim, um, you know, but uh, wish us well along the way. And there are other aspects of the business that we want to improve. Um, you know, it's been a great chance for us to sort of just restore some of the energy and the batteries and, and figure out where things go for 2022. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll attack it with vigour uh, <laughs> next year. But, you know, really, for us, it's just been wonderful to share all of this with you. We're also writing a book. We ought to mention that. Yeah, we should, because we're going to start tomorrow. We are. Fact. We As are. As we record. As we record. That famous phrase. As we record. <laughs> uh, yeah, the fact is we're going to write a book about... We're going to keep a diary of the next year of running Hobeck. Uh, I mean, in many ways, this podcast has, has been like that, you know, sort of weekly tot up of what we're getting into but we're going to get into the real emotional core of what it's like running a business together and 
uh, trying to achieve the things that we want to achieve for our authors and for our associates and for our readers. So, well, I think the difference, though, with this compared to the podcast is the podcast is very much a um, a two way discussion, isn't it? Whereas our, our book is going to be from our own viewpoint, so there'll be a contrast between how you um, mm. are going through the process and how I'm going through the process yeah. and how we react to it. And, so, yeah, so I'm very much looking forward to doing that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that'll be one for release at the beginning of next year, 2023. Yes. So uh, we're looking forward to uh, to achieving that. So the, the many, many things that we've got planned, um, and clearly we're building up to getting married at some point in the next I couple know, of years. I'm a finance. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it really remains for us to say, look, Happy New Year to all of you. Thank you so much for your time, for your uh, company on the podcast. We do appreciate it. Um, we feel very special and privileged that we've got this opportunity to do it and that so many people enjoy it and we hope that many more will join next year but from uh, from myself Adrian Hobart and myself Rebecca Collins just as the bells bung uh, seem to be Hobart uh, in the next couple of years um, it reminds us yeah the bells we'll, we'll play them out let's leave them to say have a happy and creative week You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to The Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.